2: On episode 73 of the Green Street Hammers podcast, Henry, Jack and Aaron discuss the season finale against Aston Villa and we dish out our own end of season awards. So welcome back to the Green Street Hammers podcast, it is 73, we are going to be analysing the whole season that's gone by, whether it's the player of the season, goal of the season and much more. I'm Henry Tomlinson, going to be your host tonight, as Adam is still very much busy with his own things. I'm joined by Jack, nice to meet you, who is new to the Green Street Hammers.
0: Jack? Hi, uh, pleasure to be here. Can't yeah.
2: wait. What have you been up to recently?
0: Um, not much, really. Just been a bit busy with uh, just doing some jobs and stuff, but I can't wait to get back to writing
2: more. Mm. And Aaron is back with us again. How are you doing, Aaron?
1: I'm doing pretty well, uh, you know, obviously, I mean, we all know the news, West Ham staying up, which I think brightens uh, everybody's days and weeks, and over here in Canada, life's kind of returning to our, our new normal, so I'm just adjusting to that, but yeah, I'm pretty well, thanks.
2: Well, I think we should best start the podcast off with a quick sort of match summary of the final day of the season, where we got a good 1-1 one, one draw, or good or bad, wherever you see it against Aston Villa as they confirmed their place in the Premier League. Um, what were your highlights, Aaron, from the match?
1: Uh, to be honest, my son was a little bit under the weather this weekend, so I kind of followed that one through my phone, and then I listened to the uh, the review on Hammer's chat afterwards. That was probably the, actually it was the first match of the season that I've missed. I've been uh, planning to watch it this week, so I really wanted to see how Ben Johnson got on. I left back, but uh, a lot of people's reviews from the match almost make me uh, feel like I'm not too inclined to uh, spend 90 minutes doing that. What about you guys?
2: Yeah, it was quite a dire game. What do you think, Jack?
1: Yeah, no, I, I thought
0: we were, if I'm honest, quite poor, really. I um, think we just gave Villa too much space. We already looked like we'd all given up and on holiday because we were safe. I, I didn't think we were that good at all, really.
2: Yeah, I completely agree. I think in my Match report. I called us the Holiday Hammers, um, which surprised me a lot. I thought with the way we've been playing, we'd be looking to sort of push on a lot more and would have like just challenged for the final game of the season, rather than end
0: the season strongly. Yeah,
2: exactly. Because there's only a short gap between this season and next season. It seemed a bit odd to see the momentum drop so quickly um, after confirming survival. But hey, we confirmed survival. We'll probably give them a little bit of slack for that game, but I think it's understandable that they probably took their foot off the pedal.
0: Yeah, definitely.
2: So I think now we should move on to the our little Green Street Hammers season awards. I think would be the best way of calling it. I think we're going to start off with the signing of the season. Uh, I'm going to go to this. You guys first, uh, Jack. Who would be your signing of the season?
0: I've um my signing season. I think it's been Sucek, just for the like the sheer impact he's had since joining. Like, I don't think we would have stayed up if we didn't have him. Like, he's actually, I'd say, like almost completed our midfield, really. like He's perfect next to Rice. It allows Rice to push forward, maybe. And as we've seen, score a decent goal. So he gets more, adds more to his game by Suček just being there.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I think he's been just immense since we've signed him. And he sort of seems like that player we been screaming out to signed for the last couple of years like a box to box midfielder originally it was to be next to Mark Noble but now it's next to Declan Rice of someone that can be efficient in both ends of the pitch and Suchek's really like took that role with both hands and he's just been incredible what about you Aaron?
1: I know we're often prone to being in consensus here. And as much as I'd like to go, you know, maybe with Jared Bowen to kind of mix things up, I I think Suchek has to be my signing of the year as well uh, for all the reasons that Jack mentioned. And I also, I wrote that one article for Green Street talking about kind of like the leadership void that seems to have been there at West Ham over the past couple of years. And, you know, I think it was best epitomized when, you know, Suchek got that goal disallowed. Chelsea came back and scored right away off a penalty and we would have sunk our shoulders and, you know, kind of really just got run over in that match. But instead he kind of, you know, took hold of that game and scored an equalizer. I think that kind of symbolized for me a lot of what he's brought to the table in terms of, you know, his, his leadership, how he plays, you know, he's that engine that just never stops. I think he's just been a a complete game changer for the squad. What about you, Henry?
2: Um, I'm probably going to have to go into consensus because sadly, Roberto wasn't available to be voted for. Um, Uh, (laughs) but no in uh, all seriousness Roberto is nowhere near for obvious reasons I I agree with you guys I was thinking I'd say Bowen because of how much I wanted us to sign him and how well he has done but I agree Suchek's impact in the middle of the park has just been immense Bowen's been great on the wing and has created loads of chances and I was unlucky not to have scored more than the one goal he has whereas Suchek you feel like we maybe have done been able to do similar things without Bowen but without Sucek we would have been nowhere near No. Like, i think we're a much better team with Sucek and without Bowen than Bowen without Sucek if that makes yeah. sense
0: yeah and... and we've also got Sucek for like well i think it's an absolute bargain it was somewhere between either 13.5 million to uh, 17 million that's an absolute steal
2: yeah i think the um the total price of him goes to about 19 million and yeah, I think so. Would if he'd been going playing, if
1: but, he but in this day and age, when you think of a fact of like we paid more than that for Andre Ayew, you know, several yeah. seasons ago, you kind of compare it to that, and you're like, how, how are we able to get such a such a great player for such a low price? And I mean, I know some people a little more connected with the game who were aware of him because of how well he played for. Uh, Slava Prague or the Czech in uh, against England, but I mean, for a lot of people, including myself, he was a relative unknown, and to come in and have the impact he had has is, is been incredible. And I think it kind of shows sometimes we, as a club, trying to chase big names or big, uh, you know, individuals who have, uh, you know, kind of a lot of people know about, rather than trying to get a good player, which is which I think we've done there.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I think the fact that he wasn't playing in one of the top leagues has really benefited us because if he had been a lot more people have been aware of him and we'd have faced exactly. a lot more competition to get him so everyone else's loss is our game regarding Suchek is the way I see it yeah all right I'm going to move on to the next award which I've decided will be the underappreciated player of the season now I'm hoping there's a bit more debate over this one between us um Aaron let's go to you first
1: uh yeah I mean There's, I know we all probably have a fair bit of recency bias just because of that long break before uh, the last nine games of the season. But I thought of thought pretty hard about this one, and I think I'm gonna go with kind of one of my main guys, which is Rob Snodgrass. Like I, I know he had no role to play in the last nine matches of the year, but prior to that, he was, you know, creating a lot of chances. He was the set piece man. He scored some key goals, and he was a galvanizing force on the pitch for a team that was really not playing well. And it's, you know, obviously he hasn't played. You know, in a few months for us, but I, I do really think that he was still a, a key member of the team this year, that without him we, you know, could have been in a lot more dire straits than we were.
2: Yeah, that's a really good shout. Um I'll get on to my one in a minute. Jack, what about you? Do you agree?
0: Yeah, I also um said snodgrass for all the reasons Aaron has said. But he's just been like he's been great for us really this season, like leadership wise and his versatility as well. We can play either left or the right. He sometimes played in a centre-mid, I think, as well, or, like, it was a cam. And he's got five goals and five assists for us. And that's been quite crucial, really. Especially the Brighton game, where like, he ran the game, I think.
2: Oh, God damn it, guys. <laughs> uh, my under player of the season was also Robert Snodgrass. Oh, dear.
1: Um, like, I agree, oh wow. like I thought there was going to be a little bit of a discrepancy there, but I guess not.
2: No, yeah. I think the some of the comments you hear about him from some of the fans because he's not, his name's not, as Sam Allardyce would put it, it's not Grasino or something. He's yeah. just sort of looked down upon because of where he's come from and the type of player he is. But people need to realise exactly how crucial the aspects he has to his game are for West Ham. The fact, yeah. like, uh, Jack, you said he plays left or right, but what's really impressed me is how he's been in the centre because of the way he doesn't stop running. And Go, that's what I'm West Ham saying. fans he's... love, is a player that will just keep going and going and going. And yeah. he, and the amount of times he's popped up with a crucial goal, I always thinking like the Sheffield United game, which we drew at home, we yeah. did not look like scoring until the flick on and snodgrass of all people was the one breaking through. He was unlucky not to get the other goal at Sheffield United because of the Declan Rice handball. And oh, I think he joking. could have had a lot more... Yeah, exactly. But... I feel like he could have had a lot more and looked a lot better statistically if he had a bit more luck around him. And yeah. everyone rates his left. the uh, like
1: you know if you think back to that Pellegrini era, which you know seems like so long ago. Very much, I, I would remark to people that West Ham looked like a club that was trying to pass the ball into the net. Sometimes, you know, we very rarely tested the keeper and i guess you know snodgrass kind of had that Yarmalenko quality about him that he you know he wasn't afraid to take a shot he wasn't afraid to yeah. take an opportunity even if it might look make him look like a fool and you know earlier in the year that was kind of an aspect that we needed because nobody else was really doing it
2: yeah absolutely i agree with you i think the only other player i had in my mind for the underappreciated award was going to be andre I feel yeah. like every t- every season he gets a lot of slack because he ha- the two years he's been here, he's had a big injury at some point. so yeah. And then he all of a sudden he comes back and he looks a bit shaky, here or there, and that's what people see in him. Rather than each season he's been here, he's been the main man at the start of the season. Last year it was the two goals against Everton that helped us for our first win. And then yeah. this season he scored a great goal against United, a great goal against Bournemouth, and he's got five in total, including the great memorable one against Chelsea and everyone thinks of him as this like show pony that's not really putting in a lot of effort and this and that but his minutes to goal contribution is really good like considering how injured he's been and he is someone that I think especially since the restart he has shown a lot of passion for the club which should be given a mention like the way he was after he scored the Chelsea goal, you could tell how much it meant to him and he wanted to be the main man and he knows it's maybe not gone the way we thought it would have gone for him because a lot of people would have said if Yarmolenko was this good he would have been in England four or five years ago. But we have seen flashes of that brilliance that has made Yarmolenko that desirable player that's meant he's won Ukrainian player of the year four times and is so well regarded back in in Ukraine. So he's sort of He'll be my other outside shout. I don't know if you guys have any special shout outs you want to go for players that might not have gone under the radar or so.
0: Um before the um the break I would have said Antonio because he wasn't like scoring many because he had he, like had two or three goals disallowed from VAR, I think. But he when he played, he also he made a massive impact for us. So like whether it being like on the wing or like, up top of Haller. Like his like directness and um it's just pure like strength and the speed. It was like something we just didn't have.
2: Yeah, definitely. I always think about the game against Southampton, uh, home and away, which yeah. is where we really saw the ability that they had to link up with each other. Yeah. And I mean, unfortunately, I think both times Antonio missed the one-on-one that he was put through for. Yeah. But yeah, he had two goals before the break, and obviously he's came- come back. Took a couple games to get going, and then it's just exploded. And yeah. I think should be player of the month for July. If he's not, it will be a travesty. The um, biggest
0: robbery I've ever seen if he does not get that.
2: Yeah, my other player was Pablo Fournals. I think he got a lot of yeah. slack because a lot of people expected him to hit the ground running and it was going to be this, but he's shown himself to do this like graft work. Like Aaron, I don't know, do you think <laughs> Fornals as well?
1: That's actually who I was going to say. You know, I mean, it's he's kind of been a guy who's been peaks and valleys too, right? I mean, there's been points of the year where fans have absolutely loved him. And then he's, you know, the last last nine games or so he's been out on the left wing clearly out of position and you know at times his his weaknesses have kind of shown there and people have forgotten about him but he's he's made an effort to do things that maybe we wouldn't have expected from him you know and that Yarmolenko goal he's the one who's busting into the box to you know create a diversion he's been tracking back he's been doing a lot of a lot of things that when you know signed him from for 22 million pounds you don't necessarily expect that out of that type of player so that was kind of my idea but I was just a little, with him, like there's also been times where fans have been absolutely in love with him. So it's like a a weird, different times in the season. He's been appreciated and underappreciated, I guess.
2: Yeah, I know. He's had a bit of slack the last couple of weeks because he hasn't been getting forward. But he's basically having to be played as a second left back to cover for Cresswell. And the ability shown to sort of do that dirty work is remarkable from a player that you thought was going to be like a Lanzini replacement or so. Yeah. That was just going to be signed for his attacking ability and the fact he had a lot of flair and like skill moves that you saw him have at Villarreal. But he's adapted his game to be this real grafter and, like as I said, like willing to do the dirty work and he's putting in tackles and contributing defensively, which I think is a lot of the reason we haven't conceded as much since the restart because he's been covering ground that he shouldn't be having to, but doing yeah. it very well.
0: Yeah, I would agree with that. He is, it's a bit. I feel awful I feel bad for him, really, because he has been like effectively having to cover Cresswell because he can't defend. And then also when Moyes came, like he was banging form. And then Moyes came in and just benched him for Lanzini for about a month. And he's just lost all his form. So yeah, exactly. And everyone was for crying,
2: out, crying for him to come back out. And then what happened? He scored against Liverpool. Exactly. And just showed his class that he has going yeah. forward as well. And I think he's yeah. been living by himself. In England, it's his first season here.
0: He's still young. Yeah, he's Young, young Spaniard coming in and adjusting to league. It's going to take time for him.
2: Yeah, he's got two Just goals, five assists. He's actually improved his statistical goal contribution from his last season in Villarreal. So for him, yeah. it has been a successful season going yeah. forward as much as it has been defensively for him. And I wrote yeah. an article about him earlier saying, I think there's a lot more to come from him next season. Yeah, I know yeah. there's all the links with Eze and Ben Rama at the moment in terms of... Like attacking midfielders, but if we're able to, my big theory about fixing West Ham at the moment is that the fullback positions, if we have a good back four, the license for these attacking players is a lot wider and yeah. they don't have to cover as much. And I think four and hours would flourish with the security that we have a left back capable of defending.
0: Yeah.
2: But yeah. Um, we're going to take a quick break and we'll be back with uh, a few more awards for the season. For West Ham fans everywhere, this is the ultimate football app for you. For match highlights, interviews and the best West Ham videos and podcasts, download the free C-O-Y Irons app now from the App Store and Google Play. Welcome back to the Green Street Hammers podcast. We've just been talking about our underappreciated player of the season and signing of the season. And I think we are all agreeing it was Snodgrass and Suchek with a couple of shouts for Pablo Fornauz and Jan as underappreciated but now I want to know from Aaron and Jack what your young player of the season was. I'm going to go to Aaron first.
1: Yeah, it's uh, I mean, a, a bit of a tough one, I guess, from the idea of where are we qualifying or having the cutoff for like a young player of the season. I guess the easy answer, especially with uh, the last nine games, would probably be someone like Ben Johnson. He's come in and played, you know, three massive games and looked more and more comfortable each one and really been fantastic i was also thinking i guess along the lines of uh i mean there's a very obvious choice but i don't even know if we should uh include him in the young player of the year but i was thinking maybe like a pablo for or something i know he's about 24 but i guess ben johnson's kind of the easy answer if we're gonna gonna go that way
2: yeah i think he's been great sort of taking that um high pressure position of right back with frederick's being injured and especially uh the hole that we found ourselves in after Ngakia decided he wasn't going to be renewing his contract. So he had a lot of weight on his shoulders to step up and like show everyone why he was the higher-rated right-back. So I think like, I, I agree with your points there, Aaron. Um, Jack, what about you? Who's your young player of the season?
0: See, I... Um... I've gone for uh, Declan Rice because of uh, I think my player of the season deserves it and has been a bit underappreciated. So I've gone for Declan Rice as my young player of the season.
2: Yeah, I think Declan Rice is probably a very sensible shout for young player of the season with <laughs> the way he has yeah. been. I mean, Declan, obviously, he's been unbelievable. I mean, topping off of the goal against Watford just sort of showed how good he was. was. And yeah. yeah. like I think obviously everyone sort of, We've come accustomed to Declan being in the squad now, so you don't think of him as that young player breaking through. He's you think he's more because he's so established in the side, and he plays with a sort of age beyond his years because he's so comfortable in the ball and he knows exactly where to be. He plays like he's got a lot more experience, and yeah, he's a quality, quality young player. And he's I think he's probably still the youngest in the squad, even younger than Ben Johnson. I think maybe he's a year older. Also. I think he's
0: a year or two older than Johnson.
2: But exactly. I mean, Johnson's yeah. like the new young up-and-coming player and Declan Rice is only that much older than him. It yeah. shows how far he's come to be as highly rated as he is now. Uh, my choice was going to be Ben Johnson, um, mainly because I, f- I was sort of saying Declan's a bit too established. But yeah, I think you're still you're okay there, Jack, with your choice. But yeah, Ben Johnson... Yeah. Uh, He's come in, as I said, with all the weight on the shoulders of taking up the position. And not only is he shown he can do it at right back, he can do it at left back. And that's so important for West Ham to know they can ha- rely on him there for next season. Because at his current rate, Fredericks, is he going to Southampton? That's the talk. Cresswell, is he reliable? We're not sure about. Mazuraku is Masuraku. And he could be <laughs> off to wherever. I still think he's... a. I think Maseraki would be a very capable player in different leagues, but it's yeah. nice to know that we have the option of Ben Johnson and I think he's deserving of like a, some sort of accolade for what he has done. Even though he's only played a handful of games, he yeah. has shown why he was so highly rated in the academy.
1: Which yeah. is kind of funny that we offer the disclaimer that Johnson's only played a handful of games when we were all, you know clamoring for the club not all of us but we were discussing the ngakia situation like so intensely when he had only really played four games you know what i mean it's kind of funny to make that comparison although i will admit the ngakia situation really helped us to fill some time we were doing this podcast week in week out uh with no football being on
2: it's it's the one thing i still like ngakia for yeah (laughs) um right uh moving on um is a bit more of like maybe a personal one or so, but I want to know what everyone's favourite moment of the season was. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go first this time, if that's all right, chaps. Um, yeah, absolutely. My favourite moment of the season was when Manuel Pellegrini finally understood the calls of the fans and dropped Roberto and put in David Martin for his debut against Chelsea. And he kept that clean sheet. And after the game, he ran off and hugged his dad and it was sort of, After all of the awfulness we'd had to deal with for the previous two months, it was sort of helped everyone sort of re-fall in love with West Ham and sort of see that sense of family that the team had. The way everyone was like giving David the pat on the back and congratulating how he played and everything. And the fact he topped it off with the clean sheet was just brilliant. So that was mine. What about you guys? Aaron?
1: uh yeah i mean that that was definitely going to be one of my moments i i'm not sure if i've mentioned on this podcast before i'm a former uh goalkeeper in hockey and so that moment kind of had a lot of and i have a very very close relationship with my dad who was you know kind of my mentor and my coach in that sense so on top of even west ham i could really like when that moment happened and i saw him up in the stands i made me think of my dad there was a whole whole lot of emotions kind of swirling around that and like you said henry it really uh after a terrible couple months of football, it really helped to kind of remind us why we we love West Ham. Um, Beyond that, I guess uh, another one of my key moments of the year was uh, my mate and I had traveled over to watch the Liverpool away match. And, uh, you know, we had spent the whole day having a few few pints in Liverpool and you know that sense of kind of nervousness about the game of we had traveled all the way over let's just make this competitive and I remember after they scored about I think nine minutes in and then we equalized and then Pablo Fornell's uh I think Declan Rice uh crossed the ball in for him Fornell's one timed it right into the net and I just remember I was in the first row and just that moment that goal went in and absolutely going uh limbs everywhere that that's kind of a pretty pretty special moment obviously the 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 match didn't end how we wanted to and it was a very lonely walk back to the city center but that was really uh, mm-hmm. really special and then i think i guess if i'm gonna pick a, another one that's kind of from project restart i would say the the moment that yarmalenko goal went in to make it 3-2 i was watching on my uh in my back garden and my wife's parents were over and i had a beer in my hand and i went pretty crazy and i think they looked at me like i was an absolute lunatic but it was uh <laughs> It was the turning point of our, our year, I think, and uh, it was very very important.
2: Yeah, no, yeah. I agree that that the moment of Pablo Fornals scoring against Liverpool, even though I knew I like deep down knew it wasn't going to end two one to West Ham, but like the joy that moment gave, even though no one I think was confident that we'd still hold on, but no. in that moment of celebration, it was that was euphoric, and it was sort of the. I think that was one of the moments that showed that we were starting to turn the tide, even though we didn't get the result from that game. It was sort of it showed that we had still had something to give and that we weren't going to go down without a fight. And then we saw, I don't know if it was the next game or the game after, when Southampton came up and we got that final win. I think yeah. it might have been two games later, and we had a, that horrific three-all draw against Brighton. Oh yeah, but um, was- it showed that we weren't going down without a fight and. But yeah, so that was a good moment. Um, Jack, what about you?
0: Um, so I'm going to say for my first one at the start of the season when we uh, when we beat Man United two 0 when that uh, Cresswell's free kick went in, I, I honestly thought we were going to get Champions League. Right, so I was very excited. Obviously, I was let down quite significantly later on. Um, but I'd say my second one for like post lockdown it probably be, you know, the moment Declan Rice's goal like, hit the back of the net. Like, I just knew we were staying up then. I just I just knew you were. Yeah, that so was... That was pretty good.
2: Yeah, it was a great goal from Declan. I was at the game against United when Cresswell put that in and I think a lot of people forgot how well we started the season. And yeah. it was sort of... It all sort of started to collapse around Fabianski's injury and in the 4-0 away loss to Oxford. Yeah. But, like, The first six games, I think we'd won three, lost two, drawn one, or roughly around that. We'd won three of our first six or so, and there was a real positivity around the place that we were going to build on that 10th place finish from last season, and be competitive and be pushing ninth, 8th, 7th, maybe 6th, or as you say, Champions League. Um, But it just showed how that injury to Fabianski just shattered the team, and... Pellegrini lost his job and then Moyes came back and we beat Bournemouth 4-0. That was another favourite moment of mine. Just yeah. all of the despair around Moyes coming back, and then the first game he won 4-0. And that yeah. sort of infamous press conference of David Moyes saying, That's what I do. I win. I apologise for my <laughs> Scottish accent, but I every time we do well, I play it to myself and just have a little chuckle. Yeah. Or even if we lose, I play it to myself and have a bigger chuckle and a little cry. Yeah,
1: but yeah, actually, uh, I started planning that trip to uh, to Anfield and then at, to go to the Southampton at home match uh, at the end of that Manchester United victory. So the the situation had changed drastically by the time I boarded my flight. It went from like expecting us to go rampaging into uh, into Liverpool and you know to, and beating them and being right up in the top six to. It's like being an absolute shambles. So it's pretty classic West Ham for sure. Yeah, you can sure. never
2: you can never guarantee get a guarantee from West Ham, and that's one thing for certain.
0: Okay. Yeah,
2: right. So I think that brings us nicely on to the match of the season, and Aaron, do you want to take the lead on this one?
1: Yeah, it's a I guess a bit of a tough one. I I I kind of have to go again with a, with one of my moments which was probably that that Chelsea victory when you are, Milenko scored at the end, I think that that game just had it all. They had, like I, I mentioned earlier about Stu and his leadership, you know, West Ham got that early key goal that was suddenly taken away by VAR controversially. They came down the pitch and like, I, I just knew as so I'm sure you guys did once that goal was disallowed that Chelsea was going to get the next one. There was no doubt yeah. in my mind. And yeah. I felt I went in and my father-in-law was sitting with me and like, he just kind of looked at me and I, I couldn't even talk. I just kind of was already starting to worry about relegation. I felt yeah. that we, we Scored right before half and then you know to go out and get take the lead and then that you know the their free kick and then to, to win it at the end it just for me it was such a you know a crazy bout of emotions and you know with the amount of stress of a you know a relegation battle and what the way we had kind of played the previous game and it, it just kind of everything kind of made it the perfect match in that sense but i mean there's a lot of other great ones what do you guys think
0: yeah jack feel free to yeah Carry it I've also yeah I've also gone for the three uh, two win against Chelsea. I was um, probably one of the biggest games like I'd say since I moved, there, other than the uh, Watford game. But and it was also quite special. We did the double over Chelsea then as well. It was the fashion we won like last minute, uh, breakaway goal. And it was quite typical that was Yarмоленко who's been getting sort of slated quite a lot. It was good, good to see him score as well.
2: Yeah, especially in sort of his typical fashion of cutting in on his left and putting it into the far yeah. corner. I think Rudiger must have been the only person in the world not knowing what he was going to do.
1: Yeah, um, exactly. Yeah. He had but, an howler of a match for sure. Yeah,
0: yeah. I also have a good moment from that game. I don't know if you noticed or not, but after um after we scored the third goal, I think there's a video of Ogbonna taking the mick out of Kepper
2: oh just, no i saw that I, no can't, r- I can't remember yeah. What yeah, it's on the
1: behind the access video and he's like i mean the, i don't know the broadcast you guys get over in the uk but over here i was listening to one with the sound piped in but this was obviously like a very quiet stadium and he's just like yelling at him and you can hear it like across the entire field making fun yeah. of him it was uh, yeah kind of unexpected from Agbana. i don't know why i just I yeah. don't, what do we really know about these guys personalities when they're playing a game but it was yeah. uh i had a good laugh about it yeah so did i <laughs>
2: Yeah, um, I'd also had written the Chelsea 3-2 for all of the reasons you guys have said, but I'm actually going to sort of change my thinking about it. And sort of basing on this the fact from uh, my girlfriend, if people don't know, she is from Nottingham and is from a Nottingham Forest family. So they yeah. had to sort of deal with the unlikely goal swing that happened that cost them the playoff spot. Okay. So, my my match this season is actually going to be quite a drab 1 1 draw with Manchester United. Yeah. Um, just for the fact that even though we thought and we knew we were basically safe, and everyone was saying, oh, we're safe, we're safe, and that you'd have to remind us, like, it's not mathematical yet. Yeah. If anyone in the league can throw away a 13 goal lead against Manchester United and Aston Villa, it's West Ham. Yeah. And Shh. the fact, like, we got the point that we needed and that was brilliant and you can sort of see the relief drain from the players that they knew they'd done it you also had antonio getting his 10th goal of the season his best ever goal scoring season since i think he's joined west ham maybe since Uh, uh, time began uh, i don't know but i think he
0: got nine goals in the uh uh 16 17 season yeah he had Got injured the last two
1: months, I think.
2: Yeah, so yeah I think
1: he I think he had like eight headers that year too. It was like nothing was scored with his feet or maybe one goal was scored with his feet or something along those lines. It was crazy.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So I think it's always great when we finally get a player who does reach double digits because it doesn't happen yeah. a lot. And no, it, it was a shame we didn't really hold on to the win, but it was sort of the one moment of magic from that game from Mason Greenwood equalising. Uh, and also... I think
1: uh, to divert as well, if I could pick a second match. I, I really enjoyed it. it was I was obviously at it the three one win against Southampton. It's really tough for to plan a trip overseas and all you really hope is that West Ham's competitive and shows up and you know yeah. you don't go to a game where suddenly you give up three terrible goals in the first twenty minutes and you're basically just can't wait to get get to have pints at halftime. So I really, uh, that match was great. I went to like the pre-match event, met Ludwig McClusko, and then we went over to the ground and like, it was just the atmosphere. Everybody knew it was like a must win. And, uh, you know, for Bowen to get his first goal and get off, off the mark, it was just like, just a really fantastic atmosphere that day. So it kind of makes it one of my, uh, one of my favorites of the year as well.
2: Yeah. It was a great game, especially sort of, we saw the best of Haller in that game. Um, Yeah. Like him showing fight for his goal and the way flicked it onto Antonio throughout the game. Like, yeah, that was a great game. But also going back to the United game, there was also a moment I wanted to talk about was um, after we'd scored what was an obvious penalty, which seemed to take a th- year to be decided on VAR, Paul Pogba's I thought they weren't going to give it. Yeah, exactly. And the moment that Antonio is jesting with Bruno Fernandez about it, and then the camera just focuses on this miserable on face in the background and it realises it's Paul Pogba just looking yeah. furious at at this seven million pound player from nottingham forest that <laughs> is a utility player that's just sort of burst onto the scene and it's been amazing sort of slagging him off and then you just sort of see antonio pull that face where he knows he's been heard by someone that shouldn't have heard him yeah and he's yeah. just sort of grinning at the camera even though he's still out of focus you know what he's doing so yeah. despite it being quite a relatively poor match it was probably my favorite of the season because it's what kept us up really yeah and i also like to say the norwich game where antonio scoring four goals that oh, i like, could not believe it I west ham west ham don't get hat-tricks let alone a player scoring four goals yeah and it was the
0: first hat-trick we've scored since andy Carroll. carroll's against arsenal
2: yeah it's the first hat-trick we've had since we've moved yeah. Um, even though we've had a game which we won 8-0, it's the first hat-trick we've had. Yeah. So uh, that's definitely a special moment as well. Right, um, yeah. we're going to take another break and we'll be back for the final part in a minute. Welcome back to the Green Street Hammers podcast. It's part three. We've already discussed a lot of our favourite moments and players of the season, but now we're going to move on to the goal of the season. And this is always something that I think people have a lot of different views on whether or not it's spectacular or the importance of the goal so hopefully we do have some disagreement and debate rather than sort of all agreeing for once um aaron what was your favorite goal of the season
1: well i mean my my first one which i feel like we're all gonna have a consensus on was probably declan rice's uh goal against uh goal against Watford just for the significance of it you know how beautifully he took it and you know just that sheer feeling of you know going up three nil and everything and I, I thought that was probably my goal of the season but I have a feeling where we all might potentially agree on it so I might go back to brainstorming a little more while you guys name yours
2: all right Jack okay. yes
1: yeah, so I had two I couldn't decide
0: really between them but they're both good goals but they're both very different so it was the um my first option was Declan Rice's absolute worldie against Watford for obvious reasons. But then my second one was um, Haller's, well, I don't know what it was. It wasn't a bicycle kick or a scissor It was just more of a scissor kick against Bournemouth in the 4 0 win. Yeah, um, that, I was, that a great was a moment. really good goal. And, uh, I'm a big fan of Haller, so it was like, good to see him getting back to scoring, uh, especially a good goal.
2: Yeah, that was a really, really good goal. Really well taken. It sort of went a bit under the radar, I think. Yeah, um, I think it has When been, it yeah, happened. It has. Um, my, To be honest, my personal favourite goal, I think you've actually already mentioned, was uh, Aaron Cresswell's free kick against Manchester United. Oh, yeah. um, I usually sat like right above that goal um, in the Bobby Moore stand. And yeah. I think he had one about five minutes earlier that went straight into the wall.
0: Yeah, and no, then there was one he just missed, I think. Yeah, it was and then quite the, narrow. Yeah.
2: yeah. And then the second one, he got it perfect, and it went straight yeah. into the top corner. And, like, as you said, like the positivity we had coming away from that game, beating United 2 0, and I think that passed to fifth or something in the league. Yeah, like, so for me, that was my favorite goal of the season, but more so for importance, I'd probably put it down to Yarmolenko's as well. So, yeah. For, the spectacular reason I'll probably go with Cresswell's, but in terms of importance, Yarmolenko's against Chelsea. How are you doing have our interview? Have you come up with one? Uh,
1: I, I was trying to remember. I think it might have been a goal in uh, might have been a goal in Roberto's first start to put us up one nil, where I kind of felt like you know maybe we'll be okay. I think Halaire ended up finishing it. It wasn't like some fantastic finish. It was just passed to him in the box, and he and he like put it in but I think almost everybody touched it in the build up or something along those ways but I uh, I don't know if you guys remember the one I'm talking about oh is
0: that against that was against crystal palace wasn't it against
1: palace yeah and then yeah. they ended up scoring a penalty and then scoring a late winner that oh. kind of you know, where roberto's i thought you know we might have been okay with him and you know it'd be great to get him off the mark with like a clean sheet and then it kind of fell apart at the end but yeah. i don't remember a lot of details about that that goal fully but i remember it just being like a, a fantastic build-up where you know yeah, so great, many players yeah. touched the ball and we really really moved it around but beyond yeah. that i i don't have much
2: yeah, I know that was a great team goal. I've also just thought of a couple others and I think back to Haller's, one, his second goal for the club, the overhead kick against uh, uh, Watford. Watford. Yeah. But also the goal that almost happened where he sort of Scorpion kicked it or like some sort oh, of yeah. flick in that game that just sort of, I can't remember if it just fell for Foster or it hit the bar or something.
0: I think Foster just saved it Like it was like a scorpion kick overhead it was, it was mental yeah, I don't know how he did it
2: yeah exactly and I think another goal that's gone really under the radar because we lost the game was Snodgrass's volley from the edge of the box against Newcastle Like he just took it so well oh, so yeah. cleanly and it flew into the bottom corner and also Antonio's against Tottenham that we lost and he sort of swivelled and just fell as he hit it and it just flew past Lloris and all of a sudden he thought maybe we'll get something from the game but sadly we didn't like there was like run of games of the 3-2 against Tottenham and 3-2 against uh, Newcastle we actually scored some good goals but the defence was just too poor to get anything from the game so we have scored some good goals this season but so what are we deciding is our goal of the season oh silence (laughs) (laughs)
1: um that's that's a tough tough one, I guess. I mean, I I really like the Declan Rice one just because of the sheer significance of it. But I don't know if that's kind of how we want to how we want to conclude it with like the the difficulty level or or just the actual beauty of the goal. Because then I if I think it's that. Then Cresswell's is phenomenal. Mm. But otherwise, if you think about the importance of the game and and the player who scored it, I'd go with Declan Rice.
2: Yeah, I think Declan's has a bit of everything in it. What about yeah,
1: you, it was a great strike and it was a
0: very significant goal for us.
2: Yeah, so I think. Declan Rice against Watford he hasn't had young player of the season so we'll give him goal of the season and that should sort of make him feel better and wanted at the club and stay forever
0: please stay Declan don't leave
2: (laughs) yeah so now the big one is the player of the season Um, I think there was two very clear options well to me there was I want to know what you guys think Jack I'll come to you first
0: I think I've uh, gone for what most of us are gonna go for, and I've gone for Ogbonna. I think he's been absolutely like rock solid for us. And, um, we would be in a lot of trouble without him, really. He, don't, I don't think he does go quite under the radar, really. He's been a great servant for us. Like I mean, he's been here five, five, six seasons now, and like he's been, he's been great for us. He scored some some uh, important goals, and yeah, he's just
1: been rock solid at the back.
2: <laughs> yeah, that's some very good points, Aaron.
1: Yeah, there was a uh, reason that I left Declan Rice out of my young player of the year. It's because I think for me personally, it was far and away the uh, the, the hammer of the year and the player of the year on our our podcast. I just, you know, it's it's so easy to get sometimes awarding these things to feel kind of creative or not, you know, feel like because Rice is a bit younger or he hasn't been here, you know, maybe as long as like an Agbona, but I just, I don't see any way that West Ham competes or even stays up without without him this season every minute the premier league you know what he does on the pitch the leadership the fact that he seemingly gets better week in week out like he came back from that from the lockdown and looked like he had you know put some a little more bulk on his frame he was out muscling players he was you know scoring goals he was getting forward i just uh i I just think he's been fantastic he seems like he's an absolute coach's dream he's growing into to being a to being a vocal leader. I mean, I'm I'm not putting a sales pitch for any other team out there because he, clearly they know all those things too. But I just think for me, he's uh, you know, maybe we want to not award it to him because he's a bit of a youngster still, but I think uh, hands down, he's my player of the year.
2: Yeah. Some great points. I mean, my, my thought was on Bonner as well. I mean, like you guys have said, he's just been brilliant at the back. And I think sort of, it's almost been more impressive how good he's been by the fact he's had to cover for an Diop that's not been at top form as he was the season yeah. before. He's had to cover for Cresswell a lot. Um, yeah. And also because of our issues at right back, he's almost had to do that job as well. So yeah. the fact he's almost been a whole defence for us and has done it brilliantly, <laughs> um, it just shows he needs a bit more help to be supported next season to carry it on especially as it is, he is ageing. But I yeah. think he definitely deserves some recognition for how well he has played. I mean, Declan Rice even said Ogbonna was his player of the season. So yeah. if the player of the season by the club is saying someone else's player of the season, that's quite good to go on for Angelo. And he's been absolutely brilliant. And I agree, Declan Rice is just as uh, sort of certified to be player of the season but I think Ogbonna sort of almost deserved a co-player of the season award for how good yeah. he had been and I think he he people forget how often he does pop up with a goal from a corner or something as well for a centre-back he goes under the radar with the amount of goals he scored throughout his time at West Ham especially yeah. important goals I always think back to the one against Liverpool and the oh, yeah. season that I was just I'll... a great moment he always he always he, we never have a defender that scores regularly but I think with, he's the closest we've had to it of someone that you can maybe back that is going to get his head onto the ball from the corner and yeah. find a goal with it. So for me, it was Obbana. So I think we all agreed on Obbana for the Green Street Hammers Player of the Season. Yeah. Um,
1: yeah, I can. Be, I can go with that. I can get along with that.
2: Yeah, you're okay to go with that.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean he would. I mean he was a close second in my kind of personal uh, personal little poll, and I'm sure he was very much so for for the clubs voting as well. So. I'm, uh, it's not like I'm disagreeing strongly with it I just I love Declan Rice I think he's been great yeah. yeah
2: yeah I think you're right I think both are very very capable maybe we'll give out a co player yeah. of the season awards so neither of us. if I could give it to out. both
0: I would give it to both yeah. yeah I
2: think you're right I mean they both make the team so much better when they play um, as we've got a little bit more time to kill into the podcast and the transfer window is open and it already seems like it's been open for about a month by the amount of stories we've been hearing left, right, and center. Um, I want to get your guys, if you could sign one of the players we've been linked with, or maybe someone we haven't been linked with yet, um, who your top transfer target will be. I'm going to go to Aaron first.
1: Yeah, I think uh, basically, I don't necessarily have like a top transfer target, but I, I do think the most important positions that we need to upgrade on in and uh, and the transfer window is, you know, everybody wants... I'm not saying that SA wouldn't be, like, a great signing or uh, ben Ram, Rama from uh, from Brentford, I believe that's his name, but I, I just think there has to be an upgrade at the left-back and right-back position, whoever that ends up being, whether it's, you know, Anthony Robinson, is it, from uh, from Wigan, or, yeah, yeah. or someone along those lines, it just... I don't think as a club we can go into next season with the players we currently have in those positions. And if it doesn't really matter who else we bring in, that, you know, on the attacking side, if those positions aren't upgraded, then it's kind of all for naught, in my opinion, because we're in the exact same position that we found ourselves You know, this year. We had all kinds of attacking talent, especially, you know, at the start of the year when some certain players were playing better. But I mean, it has to become a more balanced squad. And uh, I think upgrading those positions with, you know, there's numerous targets at each one. I do think Ben Johnson will, you know, help to fill one of those sides and play a fair share of games, but there has to be more turnover than that. You guys might have a, a few more specific targets though.
2: Yeah. Jack, what about you?
0: Yeah. Um, so I completely agree that we definitely need to get in two new fullbacks. Like, I think Cresswell, in my opinion, has, has been shocking recently. And, um, Hopefully Ben Johnson does step up, but I think we need someone to push him because I think Fredericks might get sold this summer. So, but otherwise, apart from that, like I really I think a top chance for Tiger should be Eze because I just think he's going to become like a like a world class player. He lo- he looks the real deal, and I think we might we might as well like get him now for a good price and get one of our um, strikers off the books in Hugill. It brings the price down even lower, because it'd just be a great investment. Obviously, we need to do the defence as well. Maybe, I think, Anthony Robinson or uh, Ryan Manning at left-back. And we've also been linked with TL at right-back. I don't know if that's happening anymore because apparently it's not a priority. But I would say Eze to be my main transfer target.
2: Yeah, I think you guys both make great points. Obviously, Eze seems to be the man of the hour at the moment. I know David Moyes has gone and watched him plenty of times. He played at the London Stadium before football restarted. And... We can use Hugo as the make-weight to make our offer a bit more favourable than Crystal Palace, who I think is the main rival in signing him. Yeah. Um, so as like top transfer targets go, I agree Like he is right up there. But I've got to side with Aaron and there needs to be huge investment into the fullbacks. Like I was talking to someone earlier saying, in terms of going forward, I think we've got great firepower potentially there. And what yeah. it needs to be to be help to unlock it is the foundations of a big of a good back four which we don't have at the moment because of the failings at left and right back yeah and if ben johnson is the player that can step up and take right back which means we don't have to sign uh gonzalo Montiel or matty cash from forest then that's great i mean i'm not one i don't want to just see the club just spend money for the sake of it if they've got the option yeah then you don't need to do it. I would like to see someone come in and challenge if Fredericks is sold for Southampton because yeah. if any offer comes in for him, the club will make profit on him. So if he was to go, I'd like to see if maybe we could try say to Tottenham, can we have Walker-Peters on loan for that right-back competition? Yeah. But left-back for me is the main concern because every week it was becoming, is it Cresswell or mazuraku Well, if it's Mazuaku, at least we maybe have some skills going forward. But and maybe a bit more defensive solidity but he's more accident prone whereas Creswell's just been poor all season bar the first few months or so where he was chipping in with goals at least so my top transfer target would probably be Anthony Robinson from Wigan especially if we can get him on this deal that we might be able to do the other person I've seen that we have been linked to the club but it's gone a bit quiet is the Atalanta fullback Timothy Castang. I think I'm saying it right um, oh, yeah. he can play left and right back um, his contract's running out at the end of next season he's only 24 I know I wrote an article about him a lot of people said why would he leave Atalanta well the answer yeah. is they don't play with full backs he's been playing in a position that's not too natural was a more advanced left wing back or left wing back because they play with yeah. a back three so I know West Ham will be able to offer him more wages than Atalanta are, off- are paying him because they don't have the biggest budget so yeah. I do think there's a potential deal there for a player that might want to play more because he's only played 25 games or so for them this season they've had a very long season with Champions League football and the Italian copper, uh, yeah. copper Italia and the league that they've done so well in the season so surely you can say to him well we can pay you double your on what you're on and you're going to be playing week in week out as long as you're not injured and if he yeah. can play left and right back to equal skill level it almost solves two pieces of the puzzle with one piece if he can cover either side um, when needs be if say Cresswell does stay but and he's on all right form but Johnson gets injured then he can just swap over so that would be my top transfer t- target um but yeah
1: even um even imagine having you know Ben Johnson and uh is it Castagne? Castanet that you uh yeah
0: you have- yeah, I his name, that.
1: but like you know if you have two players who have that type of flexibility that only makes you better as a team as well right like you can you know right now where you know
2: you can uh, swap them turbo. about for whatever team you're playing against so yeah, if one of them's faster maybe they're... on
1: form and you yeah. know like this year at one point like I mean, ryan fredericks and you know bless him Pablo zavaleta who was you know it was clear he was near the end and like those were your two options whereas the you know you have two players who can kind of switch sides or can come into the lineup where you need them or where there's injuries that I think that only makes you better as a squad kind of uh I guess in a way like we talked about Snodgrass having that flexibility like the, the more players you have but that type of talent is is
2: helpful yeah exactly and you could tell the the starting 11 to the team that you're playing against so for example if we were playing Newcastle next year and you know St Maximum is going to be up on the Left wing, right wing or what? I mean, right. Right wing. No, he's left, he's left wing. Left wing. He if he's going to be up the in the left wing, you can. yeah, if he's on the left wing, then you can put the faster one of the two up against him. So, you know, the person's got the best chance of keeping up with him. And then the other player can have the duty of taking care of the other side because he might not be as quick. But if you're coming up against someone stronger, you can put the stronger, physically stronger player Counteract that, so you get you get a lot of options if you have players that can play on both sides of the pitch, especially in the fullback areas.
1: Yeah, oh, I do think it's. Uh, Sorry, God. I was just going to say, I do think it's going to be uh, an interesting time on on West Ham Twitter during uh, the transfer window because it's pretty obvious the club's not going to uh, not going to be spending a lot of money, and I think there's going to be a lot of you know fairly upset people. But I I'm kind of of the opinion they don't have to go no absolutely like not that they have the capabilities to, but that uh, Pellegrini's first kind of transfer window where they spent money like crazy I I think there's a few tweaks and a few players that can be brought in and I I really actually you know I know we only finished 16th but I like I think the nucleus of the squad the past month and a bit really showed that they are capable of competing if they especially if they're you know we tweak a few positions
2: yeah absolutely I want to know if you guys agree with this um the majority of west ham's revenue the way i see it is built up from the tv money the fact we don't have to pay too much money for the stadium and prize money from the premier league and the match day income for most clubs in the premier league is actually a relatively small percentage of the revenue brought in each year so do you think yeah. these whole stories that the fact there's no money might be a bit of a negotiating tactic i mean We've said it before that there's only this amount of money and then we've gone and spent a lot more than what we've said there was. I think it was Pellegrini's first season, we were saying, oh, there's only £40 million for him. And then we sp- spent close to £100 million on Anderson yeah. and um, and everyone else that came in then. So do you reckon maybe it's a bit of a negotiation tactic or is there really nothing left in the pot?
0: No yeah I'd say it probably is really i i I refuse to believe that there is that way of skin i I don't believe it right uh, we're supposedly the, like the 18th richest club in the world, and yet we supposedly can't we have to sell players I, I I don't believe it
2: yeah I think it might be a way of trying to sort of present the fact that yes we might have to lose Anderson or haller. Um, in order to fund the players that you guys have all been saying that you want on Twitter and everything. Um, And also the stories that we are behind on the payments on Haller, which I don't know how... I think Gold and Sullivan are a lot of things, but I don't think they're stupid to allow something like that that could incur punishment. I don't think they'd they'd be that um, silly to make a decision like that, especially knowingly, because it's not... Something you forget of, oh, we need to pay this club five million pounds next month. I think that's, yeah, so- would, that's something that sticks in your mind. They would never forget
1: when somebody owes them five million pounds, right? So I highly dare <laughs> they forget. I, I genuinely, I agree with you guys too. I think it's, like you said, the match day actual income doesn't bring in all that much these days. I think it's just basically, you know, the, they always put out the same prop propaganda and it it generally is propaganda you know through Claret and Hugh who was kind of their unofficial kind of uh you know press team and I I you know I feel I remember reading last year the year before that the actual increase in revenue between moving from the London Stadium to from Upton Park was like was really not that much it wasn't even enough to buy a quality player so I mean yeah it was negligible yeah so I mean I I think that just shows us right off the bat how how you know that's can how little money they actually take in from from ticket sales and stuff like that. And I mean, one's a billionaire; the other one's not too far off. I don't think. I I think maybe the club and its coffers doesn't have a a ton of money at the moment. Yeah. But if they actually want to, you know. David Gold, 442 Green Street or whatever, actually wants to uh, to show how much he loves the club. Instead of talking about that, he could you know, maybe put a little bit of his own money and, into that. I know they're not, I've read before, they're not the most cash-rich individuals. You know, like, yeah, one's a billionaire, but he so much as that is owned in property. I don't know how much that's been affected by, by the COVID and everything like that. But, I, I mean, I generally think if there was a way for them to try to win back over the fans, it would be to yeah. surprise us all and maybe spend some money when we didn't think they would. But I, I yeah. don't actually actually expect that'll happen
0: no i don't understand how you can be say like a premier league like own a premier league club and just not really put a penny into it I, it just doesn't make sense to me like yes. you, you want those more you want to like spend decent money on decent players whereas they always seem to look like usually up until like, recently feel like the cheapest
1: options or the ones yeah they know the right agent as, yeah uh, he's pointed out several times i think it's also i've read a book i forget the exact name of it but it's uh it's about you know football in modern britain and the change of the game and everything and it kind of talks about the uh, you know the idea that any business person who gets into buying a, a football club expecting yeah. to actually make money is an absolute fool you know it's not yeah it's not a business you buy to like you would buy any other business it is basically a vanity project where you buy it because it you know makes you look good or you can brag about owning west ham united football club yeah so like for them to to suddenly want to try and turn it into a legitimate business it's just kind of kind of you know bullshit for a lack of other words like they need to recognize that what they bought was a vanity project and you know spend some money really yeah
2: yeah i think you guys have i think we could talk about this for a good while longer, our own conspiracy <laughs> theories around the board. Um, yeah. But no, I, I think I agree with you guys. I've, I failed to see why the fact of COVID is going to have affected the revenue from the club um, in total because the TV companies have said they're going to follow through the contracts, that money is still going to come, the money from the Premier League is still going to come. So a large proportion of the West Ham revenue is still there. And they haven't had any costs in terms of actually having to really steward the stadium well because there's been no fans to steward. Um, yeah, I was
1: going to say they always complain about yeah. how expensive it is, especially after that famous, infamous, I should say, Burnley match, how expensive it is to host matches and stuff now. They haven't had to worry about that, right? It's yeah, like, exactly. Uh,
2: and if we do sort of follow through with this uh, cutting the Pellegrini era of, and selling the big players on big money... And we're replacing them with a Ben Rama or an Eze or a Manning or Montiel or a Matty Cash or Joe Roll, whoever they are, their yeah. wages are going to be so, so far lower than what Anderson's and Haller's and Lanzini's are. So you're saving money in that respect every week. It's just the, the initial outlay, and deals are staggered over three, four, five years. So it's not like we need to find 60 million pounds. Tomorrow, in order to fund these moves, it's all about how you you plan the transfers out and are able to pay for them over the future. It's not like it's very rare a club will like demand the twenty million pounds cash on the door tomorrow. It's very rare that deal actually happens unless it's something particular the club is desperately in need of it because they like receiving the money over a period of time as well because it makes their books look better. Saying, knowing each uh, time they come to doing their books, there's five million pounds from now there and there's 12 million pounds from now there and there's this and this and this, rather than going, Oh, we haven't sold anyone this year. There's nothing coming in in terms of pro- other than prize money and TV money. So there's a lot of things I think we're going to have to end it there, guys. Otherwise, we're going to be mm-hmm. running over by a long way. Um, <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. So thank you very much for joining me, Jack and Aaron.
1: It was a pleasure.
0: Yep, it's been great.
2: Uh, and from the rest of us at Green Street Hammers, come on you items.